Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. What is up, plant people? Hey, today is the 3rd of April. 2021. And we're back with another episode of the Planthropology Podcast, a show where we dive into the lives, careers, ambitions, and overall very cool coolness of some great plant people. I'm Vikram Baliga, your host, and I'm thrilled as always to be with you today. So it's Saturday. That's weird, right? That's a little suspicious. It's okay. Uh, This episode was supposed to come out, you know, like three times over the past week, and it didn't. Here we are. It happens. It's the crazy time of the semester. I have about 5 million papers I still need to grade for my students and for my class, so I'm, I'm a little behind. But this is our next installment of our Plants and World Tradition series. Uh, if you've been listening for a while and hanging out in Plant Town with me, uh, oh, can I be the mayor of Plant Town? Oh, I like that. You can call me that. I can be. I want to be the mayor of Plant Town, just like you know Guy Fieri is the mayor of Flavor Town. I'm never going to win that election. I can never be the mayor of, of Flavor Town, but I can be. I think the mayor of Plant Town. So vote for me. Anyway, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> this is going to be a fun one. Uh, so this was supposed to, like I said, come out a few times, but uh, it's spring. It's spring. Are you excited that it's spring? I'm sure excited that it's spring. So we're going to talk about uh, spring traditions all over the world. Uh, as much as we can, they'll be plant-related. But spring is sort of about plants and, and nature and new life and all of that anyway. So even if a couple of these traditions aren't directly like plant-related or, you know, whatever, it's all right. It still has to do with plants. So uh, our my normal disclaimer for this series is there are so many traditions and so much culture all over the world that I I can't I can't address everything right I cannot um, um, possibly cover every single world tradition so I just picked a few there are so many more out there and as everything else that we do on this show I hope it serves as a basis for your own research and your own exploration into science and into tradition and in a culture. Um, just like my conversations with my guests are intended to do. So I hope you use this and, and go do some Google surfing. Is that what we call doing things on the internet? I don't know. Anyway, and uh, find out more about spring traditions and maybe find some that are relevant to you and your culture and uh, your ancestors and, and maybe other cultures as well. It'd be shocking to learn about other people, wouldn't it? Yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to play some music at you, and we're going to talk about spring traditions all over the world. Okay, so spring is a time of, you know, rejuvenation and new life all over the world, all over the world. And it's funny because as I was doing research on this, I'm an American in North America. That's how we do the thing in the Northern Hemisphere. And so when I was thinking about spring t- traditions, I was like, oh, there's all these things that start in March and April and May. Uh, but there's a whole like Southern Hemisphere where they have spring in the what like we consider the fall in September, October. It's weird, right? And so for all of you uh, listeners out there in Australia, I see you. I remember you. I'm sorry that I'm an idiot. And I had to you know do hours of research to actually remember that things are different in the Southern Hemisphere. But um, it, this was really an interesting episode to research because as a plant guy, uh, you know, the self-proclaimed uh, mayor of Plantytown, 
plant planter town plant town i'm gonna work on this we're gonna we're gonna make this happen um i i get excited when starts stuff starts blooming i i enjoy the winter i like cold weather i like snow and all of that kind of stuff but at some point i get so like weary of dormant plants and things being brown i i live in west texas where uh, you know in general uh, our winters are not super cold but they're they're cold enough cold enough that that most of our plants go dormant and all our deciduous plants drop their leaves we are you know in zone 7a if we are in the u.s uh the usda hardiness zones kind of tell you what our average annual low temperatures are so we'll get down to zero degrees we did this winter for sure uh we even saw some negative temperatures for the first time in a while and so after months of this dragging on you know our first freeze was in october so it's been kind of a long long time coming uh i'm always excited when stuff starts blooming so the first things out you know a lot of times in spring are our bulbs uh things like tulips and daffodils and hyacinths and crocuses and all kinds of other things that you know we plant in the fall um they do their thing through the winter uh they overcome dormancy largely because of the cold temperatures uh and then they come up and they bloom in early spring and uh there's a lot of trees that do as well so this is um sort of peak bloom time right now uh this is again like i said april 3rd for a lot of our flowering trees and our fruiting trees that give us spring crops so from peaches to plums to apricots some apples uh they're all blooming right now and it's wonderful so wonderful uh my favorite tree out in the garden and if you follow me on snap not snapchat i don't do snapchat um really i don't get it i should i guess that's what people use these days but whatever uh, but if you follow me on tiktok or twitter or instagram or whatever you've probably seen pictures and videos about our little um weeping redbud weeping texas redbud it's called texas traveler that lives in the horticultural gardens here and it is like eight feet tall uh it weeps not like sadly, but like Weeping Willow does. And right now it is covered with um, just bright pink flowers. It's a fuchsia catastrophe. And uh, it, it's covered with early season pollinators, osmia bees. Uh, um, oh gosh, what are they called? Sweat bees. Uh, and, and different early season pollinators. The honeybees kind of leave it alone, interestingly. Um, but but spring is this time of new life, of renewal, of things starting again. And our ancestors all over the world struggled through winter, y'all, especially in places where winters were cold. And, and we take for granted today uh, in our in our modern world in a lot of places in the world. Now, I'm not going to say this is true everywhere because there are places where, you know, food security is still a, a, a big thing, but we take for granted that we can pop down to the grocery store and pick up an orange in the middle of December in North America, you know, in Chicago, you can go get an orange from the grocery store when it's negative 15 degrees outside. That's not a thing that our ancestors could do. It wasn't. They uh, ate what was seasonal and they had to store things through the winter, but a lot of things were not available. So this time of spring and rebirth and renewal was exciting uh, and still is exciting, but was exciting to peoples throughout time because it was a chance for plants to start growing, for life to begin again, and for food to be available. Uh, food's a big deal 
if, um, you know, I don't know if you knew that, but food's a big deal. And uh, spring is the time when it all starts back up again. And it's, it's really cool. It's really cool. So I, I did some research, um, like I mentioned, on several spring traditions all over the world. And there are, are, are so many of these, so many of these, because like I said, peoples throughout time have celebrated spring and, and celebrated uh, the beginning of um, the growing season. And in a lot of cultures, spring is the new year. Right. We uh, using the the Gregorian calendar, we start our year on January 1st. But um, the spring equinox, the vernal equinox for so many uh, is the beginning of the year. And and it kind of makes sense to me. Right. Where uh, the year it's, it's sort of the natural break point in the seasons. And and I think that, again, that makes a lot of sense to me. So um, as always, you know, I am coming in from the outside of a lot of these traditions. And if I could ever get my stuff together, I would like to find people to talk to about all of this stuff. Or maybe at the end of the year, uh, if I can um, find a whole bunch of international friends who represent these cultures that that I discuss uh, to, to do like a special episode, I, that's really what I want. But I, again, I'm never on top of things enough. So um, I'm doing my best to do a fair representation and a true... Um, positive look at a lot of these cultures and a lot of these traditions. So if I get something wrong, please tell me, please do. Uh, I, I would love to be able to post amendments to, to these episodes where uh, people are like, well, you know, maybe you could have uh, approached this differently. That does not hurt my feelings. I want to do this right. And I want to do um, justice to all of these different traditions. So I picked a few all over the world. So I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm an Indian dude. At least my my family is Indian. I grew up in Lubbock, America, and so sometimes I talk with a Texas drawl, which is really confusing to people. But um, it happens, you know, whatever. And uh, so the one I wanted to start with was actually the Holy Festival um, that's celebrated throughout India and Nepal, or at least it started primarily in India and Nepal, and it's celebrated farther and wider now. Um, but this is the Festival of Colors or the Festival of Spring. And it's really, uh, as we'll see as a trend through all of these, uh, it's a celebration of the triumph of good over evil. Um, winter... It was was personified throughout time by a lot of cultures as uh, sort of this evil thing. And it represented death and uh, shortages and famine and all of these things that, that made our people uh, struggle throughout time. And so a lot of these spring traditions are the celebration of life and the celebration of good. And so um, uh, the Holy Festival is the celebration of the uh, triumph of good over evil, the end of winter, the beginning of a good harvest season, and uh, the celebration and prayers for fertile lands. So in the Holy Festival, colored powders are sprayed or thrown or uh, like doused is doused. A, uh, yeah, that's like where you dump a bucket of water. So like think of like dumping Kool-Aid on a football coach, except it's bright pink, which may also be more fun. That would, you know, take their evasion tactics to a whole new level. 
Um, so, uh, during this celebration, uh, again, these colored powders are thrown on each other. It fills the streets and, um, it's, it's really just this beautiful, incredible celebration. Uh, food or, food and drinks are served to guests and celebrants, um, things that represent the, uh, spring, um, uh, sweet treats and, and brightly flavored foods and things like that. Um, What's interesting is I was I was doing this is and I should have realized this, I think, but uh, many of these powders that are used come from various flowers because that's where a lot of our dyes and pigments uh, have come from historically is the bright colors of nature and the bright colors of flowers. Um, so the saffron color, which is sort of like a, a reddish orange, comes from the tezu plant, uh, which is Butea manosperma. And or monosperma, sorry, butea monosperma, and that's where we get our saffron colors. Uh, purples and reds and pinks come from hibiscus and beetroots. Um, tea and coffee give us brown colors. Marigolds uh, give us yellows, and then um, greens come from the leaves of different plants, and blues come from indigo, wild indigo, and. Um, these plants are, you know, crushed and made into dyes. Those dyes are used to make powders and they're thrown. So they're all, well, at least traditionally natural pigments. Now, over time, you know, we can do a lot of things synthetically. So uh, we see this, this tradition represented through different things. If you've ever done like a color run, which is a 5K where people spray you with this stuff specifically, uh, we've sort of adopted as we do, um, traditions from different cultures into our culture. And I, I think, um, you know, this is maybe an interest, uh, an unpopular opinion for some, but I think that's a good thing. I think we should celebrate each other worldwide. And I'm not just saying this cause I'm an Indian guy and I think it's cool to see, um, some of these, these, uh, colors and stuff shown in Western culture and stuff like that. I think as long as we are careful to, um, not say that, oh, look at this cool thing I came up with or uh, and, and are careful to celebrate the cultures from which they come in the context of which these celebrations come from. Um, I think it's great that we celebrate each other. I think it's great that we take part um, in, in the things that other people think are important. Now, there are, you know, certain rituals and certain um, celebrations that are just for specific cultures. And I think that's great, too, that, uh, you know, if you're kind of not on the end that you you kind of stay out and i think that's okay with it that's okay too but in general i think we should certainly be celebrating each other and celebrating each other's uh, differences and cultures and all of that um the next one i wanted to talk about is uh, another one that has kind of spread all over the world and this is hanami or the cherry blossom festival um, which started in japan um so it's really the viewing and celebrating spring with cherry blossoms and plum blossoms um so cherry blossoms are known as sakura and uh, plum blossoms are known as ume and i'm probably pronouncing these wrong and again i apologize i tried to to take notes on pronunciation and I think I probably missed wide on a lot of them anyway. Uh, but actually, traditionally, um, or and originally, as this tradition started, it was probably plum blossoms uh, that were observed. But over time, um, it became uh, really more about cherries. And so uh, the cherry trees bloom really throughout the month, month of March uh, into April. Um, it sort of depends and it, it varies year to year. Uh, but really, they'll start in March and sort of end in May, depending on where you are 
you know, across the world. So sake is one of the traditional drinks um, uh, uh, for this festival. Um, but uh, Sakura is also blended into green teas. So so cherry is also uh, blended into green teas, black teas, matcha, uh, different drinks. And so uh, these cherry blossoms and this beginning of spring is celebrated both visually, but through food and drink and other things as well. So this tradition was said to have started in about the 700s, um, which that's, you know, quite some time, but it may have started before that as well. You know, uh, it's interesting what cultural uh, roots get lost to time and lost to history, but uh, it's kind of accepted that it may be started in the 700s. Um, And like most droops, so peaches, apricots, plums, um, avocado, no, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, the blooms don't last very long. They only last for a couple of weeks or in some cases up to a month. You know, I know on our peach trees, they bloom and they're done in about two to three weeks. And, and so uh, there's a big not industry, but a big deal about predicting when these trees are going to bloom. So meteorologists and weather forecasters, uh, along with some of their weather predictions, predict the start of the bloom season. And thousands gather to celebrate. Thousands of people. Uh, They come from all over Japan and all over the world see these cherry blossoms. This is something that uh, is sort of on my bucket list. I have seen pictures and it's it's moving. I would love to be able to go to Japan for the uh, cherry blossom festival as well as to see the fall colors on the Japanese maples and and other plants. But, you know, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll get to go do that. Um, But thousands gather to celebrate. So it's important that uh, they know when it's going to start. Okay, so um, this this tradition is moved all over the world. It's moved throughout Asia. Uh, It's actually commonly celebrated in China and Korea and different places um, and has moved into the U.S. We see cherry blossom festivals in um, uh, D.C., Washington, D.C. There are lots of cherry trees there uh, in, in Virginia and even in Washington state in different places where these plants are grown. But it's still um, largely a uh, and, and originally a um, Japanese tradition. But such traditions like this are actually common all over the world where we uh, don't just heart, uh, celebrate the harvest in the fall, but we also celebrate bloom in the spring. Um, like we've been talking about. So uh, another one that is, um, we'll move over to Europe now in Northern Europe, uh, the Bloom and Corso uh, festivals are um, parades uh, dedicated to the blooming of flowers. So uh, these Bloom and Corso uh, parades were thought to have started in the 1940s in the Netherlands uh, following possibly World War II uh, as celebrations of, again, new life and an escape from darkness and a a triumph of good over evil. So um, floats are decorated richly with flowers. And if you look up some of the pictures of these floats, they're I mean, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, The streets are lined with flower petals. Um, Flower garlands are made and hung everywhere. People wear them. Uh, They put them on car mirrors, on doors, and on trees. And um, these these cities in the Netherlands really kind of go all out 
for this. this uh, I mean, uh, they celebrate flowers because there's such a big deal there. It's a large part of industry, and it's, again, a large part of this spring celebration. This festival travels through several villages and cities uh, and and is really just, again, a big occasion. It's a, it's a big celebration. Um, like so many things, this will actually be virtual in 2021, and it's coming up pretty soon here in the next couple of weeks i think and uh you know it's it's kind of a bummer because of covid and everything that a lot of these celebrations don't get to be held in person but it's also pretty cool that we can observe it like that it's that it's available to a wider audience worldwide i think that's super and cool and super important for bringing uh different cultures to different people and it's actually linked pretty closely with the kuchenhof which is the which means kitchen garden uh and it's largely considered or called the garden of europe so this garden uh in the netherlands um it's southwest of amsterdam it dates back to the 15th century so this garden's been around for a long time uh and it's one of the largest displays of tulips and other flowers in the world uh, during the a normal season this garden will draw somewhere between 25 and 30 thousand visitors a day a day during the bloom season now tulips don't tend to bloom for an especially long time again like a lot of other things they bloom for just a few weeks uh, so people flock to the kuchenhof gardens to um see the flowers, see the tulips, and and just take part in this big celebration. So uh, the Blumen Corso Festival, uh, even though it's not, I mean, <laughs> it's 100 years old now. The 1940s is almost 100 years ago, 80 years ago. Uh, but it's linked to this very, very old garden uh, and is a celebration of the cultural heritage that came out of growing all of these plants. So... Um, I think this is a good time. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to play a trailer at you from a great podcast that you should listen to. And then we'll come back and we will talk more about tulips. Well, hey, welcome to the mid-roll. Everyone's hopefully not favorite part of the show. You know what? I'm glad you're listening. Thank you for following along with all of this planty goodness. If you want to see more planty goodness and follow along with other shenanigans, look up Planthropology on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a great Facebook group called uh, Planthropology's Cool Plant People. Um, there's lots of folks in there that post memes, plant plants, talk about planting plants and ask questions and give answers. It's really a pretty chill, laid-back corner of the interwebs. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash planthropology. Uh, even a dollar a month helps just make sure that this thing keeps running and keeps rocking and rolling along. Everything goes back into education, and uh, you, there's no obligation to do so. I hope you keep listening regardless. Um, I said that I was going to play a trailer for you. I'm actually going to play a promo for my podcast network, Podfix, and uh, a whole bunch of great shows that I know that, that you will love. And so uh, check out this trailer or promo or whatever you want to call it. Ad? Um, shill? I'm a shill. I'm shilling for the Podfix Network right meow. But anyway, get ready for a promo for the Podfix Network and uh, then we'll come back and we'll talk tulips and Canadians. So use your ear holes in five, four, three, two. One. 
Do you like comedy? What about movies? Pop culture? Do you like animals? What about science? Do you dig plants? What about writing, snacks, rambling, and rants? Filmmaking, improv, and interviews, Canadians, Australians, boating forecasts, and super views, ladies, gentlemen, credence, or comic books, script reads, bad TV, hits that shut perfectly big packages popping up, podcasts pointing people to discover other podcasts. Fantastic. Check out the Podfix Network, podfixnetwork.com. At Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on the gram. Plus, check out Podfix Presents, wherever fine podcasts are found. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved. Okie dokie. So let's go to Canada. Head over to North America. So, um... Tied to some of the tulip festivals that we see and the spring flower festivals that we see in Europe, there is a Canadian tulip festival that's held annually in May in Ottawa, and uh, it draws over 650,000 visitors every year. It's really a big deal. It's an interesting history to this. The Dutch royal family sent out over 100,000 tulip bulbs to the country of Canada uh, because the Canadians harbored and um, sheltered the future queen, uh, Juliana, uh, of the Netherlands during the Nazi occupation of the Netherlands. And um, I believe they sheltered these people, uh, Queen Juliana and her family, for I don't know, three to five years um, before and through World War II. And um, in, I guess, Gratitude because of their gratitude to Canada. Again, the Dutch royal family sent over a hundred thousand tulip bulbs that were planted in Ottawa. And so, um, at the time, that was, I mean, that's a lot of tulip bulbs, right? Uh, and as part of that, they also committed to sending something like 25,000 bulbs per year after that. Today, over a million tulips are on display during the Canadian Tulip Festival. It's really a massive, amazing displays. And it's really one of the largest tulip displays in the world. If you're not familiar with tulips, they're an interesting flower. Uh, each plant puts up like a stalk. Uh, there may be a couple of varieties that have multi stalks, but I don't think there's very many of them. And uh, the flower hangs on for a week or so, maybe 10 days, two, two weeks uh, at the outside. And um, you've probably bought tulips in the store where the flowers are all closed up and um, they do that at night. They do that at night. So if you look at a tulip or a lot of varieties of tulips during the day, they have a very open sort of cup or goblet shaped flowers uh, flower that closes up at night. And so when you go out first thing in the morning, you'll see what we typically and traditionally think of uh, as a tulip shaped flower. But as the sun comes up, as it warms up, that flower opens more and more throughout the day to give pollinators access to the pollen and uh, to the uh, reproductive structures of the flower. They're really interesting, really pretty flowers that have been so widely bred. Um, so they come in tons of colors and shapes and uh, sizes, and they're, they're really, really cool. So uh, if you're ever up in Canada land, uh, the frozen north. Um, I, I think that's something that's totally worth visiting. And I would think any of these festivals are worth visiting. I am not necessarily well-traveled. I would like to be. So uh, I, I want to go around and see different plant festivals and plant traditions and plant displays all over the world. I think it's a, a really cool thing. And it's something that I definitely want to um, try to take take part in one day. 
So we're going to head back over the Atlantic, uh, back to Europe, and talk about uh, Baba Marta Day. So this is another tradition that has traveled a little bit outside of its roots, but it started as a Bulgarian holiday celebrating uh, the beginning of spring and is generally celebrated on March 1st. So uh, for this holiday, um, little dolls or little figures known as martinitzes are made from yarn and uh, are worn usually until spring really starts, what, springing? I don't know. Uh, the tradition is that they're worn until storks and swallows and other uh, birds that tend to come back and tend to be prevalent in the spring start showing up. At that point, these little dolls, usually made of red and white yarn, um, they're little like human figures sometimes, or sometimes they just are a little more uh, nondescript, but they're usually made of red and white yarn, and uh, they're worn on the wrist or around the neck uh, until, um, usually, actually, I think usually, from like around the wrist as, as a bracelet. And then uh, when storks start showing up, when the swallows come back, when uh, things really start blooming in spring, they're taken off and they're hung on blooming trees. So you can see these little martinitzas all over town and all over throughout the country um, in a lot of the places where this is celebrated. Uh, Baba Marta Day is also the start of what is sometimes referred to as Birch Month uh, by especially some older Bulgarians. And uh, it's called this because that's when the birch trees start leafing out and the sap starts flowing. They start giving sap. Um, so it is, again, a celebration of the of new life, of new beginnings, of uh, resources becoming available again. Um you know, early, originally, it was a purely pagan ritual, and it was um, thought to, so Baba Marta means Grandma Marta, and uh, it was thought that keeping Grandma Marta or Baba Marta happy would lead to um, a prosperous spring, warm weather, and it would stop the winter from persisting through March and into April. And uh, this pagan ritual is actually one of the oldest surviving and continuing rituals in Europe. Um, a lot of them were merged with Christian traditions or Christian traditions sort of co-opted a lot of these pagan rituals as Christianity spread through Europe. But um, um, uh, this is one that has really survived there in uh, the Balkan Peninsula and southeastern Europe, um, sort of as is throughout time. And it's really interesting to see that. And it's kind of cool to see um, a lot of these holidays and a lot of these um, rituals practiced in the way they always have been and the ways that they originally were. So... Um, I'm, I'm jumping around a lot as far as continents go, but I think that's okay. We're not actually on an airplane. We're just we're just traveling with our imaginations. That's super corny. Anyway, so we're going to head over to Mexico and talk about the spring equinox in Teotihuacan, and um, and talk about the spring equinox in Teotihuacan, uh, which is an ancient city in Mexico. So this is celebrated as the name would suggest on the vernal or the spring equinox. So around March 20th to 21st. Uh, and it's a massive annual celebration at the pyramid of the sun and the pyramid of the moon. Uh, but a lot of the, um, current rituals take place or current, I guess, celebrations rituals is maybe not the right word 
exactly anymore. Uh, but a lot of the current celebrations take place at the Pyramid of the Sun. So people climb the 360 steps of this pyramid uh, to the top to watch the sun uh, track across the sky and welcome spring. Now, uh, a lot of folks aren't there on top of this this structure by sunrise. Um, and so I think a lot of them start the climb about 9 a.m. Sometimes it takes quite a while. And so uh, they really start to see the sun at its peak in the sky. But some people do get the get there pretty early and watch sunrise over the mountains around this ancient temple. Um, celebrations do also happen at the Temple of the Moon, which is kind of across a... Uh, a big courtyard from the Temple of the Sun, uh, but access is somewhat more restricted. It's not maybe weathered as well uh, over time as the Temple of the Sun has. Um, and it's interesting, we see equinox traditions uh, taking place all over the world. If you go back to an episode from December and uh, look at some of the plant traditions surrounding the um, winter solstice, uh, Saturnalia and some of the others, I hope you go back and uh, listen to that episode. It's a, it's a, I think one of my favorites. It's a great episode. Um, but we see the same thing happening at the spring equinox. We talked about uh, uh, the equinox at Teotihuacan, but also uh, Stonehenge is is one that I think pops into a lot of people's heads when they think of an equinox spring tradition. So St- Stonehenge is, again, back over the Atlantic in uh, Britain. And um, people do gather here to welcome the sunrise on the equinox. So equinox, if we haven't covered this at this point, means that that means literally equal night where the day and night are finally uh, the same length again. And so the days start getting longer, the nights start getting shorter. We have more sunlight to grow plants and do things outside and all of that fun stuff. In the U.S., we often celebrate with a time change and just I guess just to make people sad. I don't know. Although I will say I do enjoy uh, having a little extra time with the sun up in the evenings. But um, at Stonehenge, uh, flower uh, crowns and plants are often taken um, with revelers to Stonehenge. Um, They drink dandelion cordials and wine and... um, uh, which so Dan, we talked about early spring forage and early spring plants. Dandelions are blooming right now in a lot of places all over the world. They're one of the first flowers to come out, and we consider them weeds in our lawns. and And there's maybe some good reasons for that, but uh, they're actually a very versatile plant. They're medicinal, they're herbal, they're edible, and they're pretty. and And I think that uh, as pollinators start to come out. Having some dandelions around is definitely not a bad thing. So um, different plant-based drinks and foods are are usually consumed as well as meats and, and different things to celebrate the passage of winter into spring at Stonehenge. Uh, another equinox um, celebration is at Angkor Wat in Cambodia. And so you've, pr- you've probably seen pictures of this with the sun rising over the temple of Angkor Wat and and uh, if if one was to stand in exactly the right place during the equinox at sunrise, um, one of the most coveted pictures during this time is the sun hitting the very, very top of the temple, uh, the central tower of Angkor Wat. And uh, it's interesting how a lot of these rituals become very 
um, I guess commercialized over time and, and we see these beautiful, perfect pictures, but then sometimes it's, it's kind of crazy to see, uh, pictures of the crowds and the, um, kind of overwhelming celebration of these things. And not that that's bad. I think it's good that people are taking place in it or taking part in it, but we need to make sure that we're preserving the heritage, uh, of these places as well. And here's a plug before we talk about our, uh, last two traditions or last couple of traditions real quick. Um, another thing that people like to do, especially I see it a lot in the U.S. Uh, at this time of year, is to go take pictures with wildflowers. And while I think that's lovely and, and great, uh, you need to be careful with how you do that. Uh, try to take your pictures from marked paths and from the roadside as much as possible. Don't go trampling out and sitting on wildflowers. Uh, a lot of these are very delicate ecosystems, and uh, national parks have to close large areas to remediate the damage caused by people laying in um, a field of wildflowers and crushing them and and. Some of these are endemic to very, um, very small areas. And if we're going out and trampling them and causing all the damage, you know, there may be future generations that don't have access to seeing things like that. So here's my uh, little soapbox plug for not going out and taking pictures in wildflowers. We need to be protecting our ecosystems and our public lands. Instagram can do without another picture of someone laying in wildflowers uh, or just use them as a background. Like there's nothing wrong with sitting at the edge of a field uh, or standing at the edge of a field or whatever and having flowers behind you. It's perfectly okay. Okay, so just a couple more. Uh, another one is the Floriade uh, Festival that is a celebration of bulbs and other flowers in the spring um, in Australia, throughout parts of Europe. So this is more recent. Uh, this is one that didn't really start in Australia, at least until the 1980s. Uh, there was a landscape architect that uh, was looking at some of these other spring traditions and spring festivals and thought, you know, we could do something like that here. It's pretty cool. And so this is actually also another big display of um, uh, tulips and topiaries and other common flowers that we see throughout a lot of these spring festivals. Now, this one, like I mentioned earlier, is not held in March. This one's held in September and October because for my Australian friends, uh, that's when spring starts. It's kind of, you know, again, us northern hemispheres. Hemispherians, Northern Hemispherians sometimes forget that, that things happen differently in different parts of the world. Um, but about as many as about a half a million people attend this um, celebration every year over the course of a couple of months or uh, as as long as these flowers are displayed and blooming. Um, one of the things that I kind of liked about this one is that there are also big public art displays. I mentioned there's flowers and topiary uh, um demonstrations and topiary displays and things like that but people also do lots of public art and they dress gnomes up as uh different characters to represent whatever the theme is for the year i like gnomes garden gnomes are fun so uh i think we need way more gnome related festivals all over the world um but this is also based largely off the displays um at the kuchenhof gardens that we talked about earlier in the episode so these traditions carry over from one place to another and they evolve and they change and again i think that's pretty cool um Another one that is maybe a little less uh, overall plant related, but it is very spring related, is an Iranian or Persian 
a New Year tradition called Nowruz. So it is a celebration of the legend of a, a mythical Ira- Iranian king def- defeating the winter. Again, winter often gets personified as a uh, a demon or an angry god or something like that. Uh, and so this this mythical king defeats the winter and re- returns spring to the world. It was a, a harsh winter that was going to sort of kill everybody. And that's not great. We don't want that to happen. And so... Um, uh, this tradition came out of that. And so uh, one of the ways that uh, people that celebrate Noru's uh, do is through spring cleaning uh, of the home. It's it's again a time of renewal where you're taking out old clutter and things like that and, and bringing in new life to your home. And it's also a time where flowers are purchased and planted very commonly. Uh, hyacinth and tulips are very common at this time of year, both uh, planting and as cut flowers for decorations in the home. And uh, they're very conspicuous at this time of the year. So you see lots of hyacinths, lots of tulips um, displayed uh, during no ruse and uh, in these newly cleaned and newly organized homes. I think that's kind of cool. I, I should do more spring cleaning in my own life. I it If you've never been to West Texas, uh, we mostly get dust. Uh, so we have high winds and dust storms. And so when we spring clean, it's often because our homes are full of dust. Yay. <laughs> We've been doing that at the greenhouse. We had a big dust storm a few weeks ago. And I don't know if you know this, but greenhouses tend to kind of leak like sieves, especially old ones like the one I have. Um, and so we got to play dust collectors and it was it was lots of fun. We fought the fight and one of my employees that has allergies made it. He, he made it. He did. I was it was touch and go there for a minute, but he, he made it through. So the last one I want to talk about is Easter. So, uh, again, this is coming out Saturday, April 3rd, and Easter is tomorrow. So, Easter is a, a holiday that I celebrate with my family. It's it's sort of a big deal to us in the Christian tradition. And uh, as Christians, we, we celebrate the um, uh, resurrection of Jesus. And like so many other spring traditions, it is a celebration of um, overcoming uh, winter and and death and evil and um, sort of being birthed into new life and given new life. And so uh, there's a lot of interesting history about Easter. Now, it was something that was sort of developed, again, as Christians moved into Europe. Uh, the roots of it, you know, it, it's funny because we, t- we think about Easter and it's like, okay, why are there rabbits? Why are there eggs? Rabbits don't lay eggs. Uh, I hope. I don't think they're not. They're not platypi. That would actually be really alarming if rabbits started laying eggs one day. And so I think there's some confusion about why that was involved. Well, those kind of came first. So rabbits do what rabbits do, and they multiply very quickly. They're uh, sort of thought to be a, a, a spring-like animal. You start to see clutches of uh, baby rabbits in the spring, and eggs are also symbolic of new life. And so. Some of the early traditions that Easter sort of um, uh, co-opted came from pagan traditions, and uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but I believe there was a, a pagan goddess in the Norse tradition called Oarste, or the Celtic or Druid tuition, uh, that was the goddess of spring and the goddess of new life, and um as, again, Christians moved in and Christianity spread throughout Europe, uh, this was a 
perfect type of symbolism for the resurrection of Jesus. And that's sort of where our a lot of our current and, and modern Easter traditions came from. But however you celebrate spring, I think that, or whatever tradition, whatever uh, faith you follow or, or faith you don't follow, um, spring is a time of new life and of, of rebirth and of new opportunities. And, and we see this reflected over and over and over again throughout time. Um, we may have talked about this in an episode way back when, uh, I, maybe the episode with, um, Abby Morrison from the field lab earth podcast. Um, but there is one story we tell as humans. Uh, you may have heard this called the hero's tale or the monomyth. Um, but, but without getting too much into the weeds on this, uh, weeds cause plants, Anyway, um, this story represents us overcoming as as a species, as people and as cultures. And, and throughout time, this same story gets told over and over and over again. And it represents so much in our lives. It represents uh, on a personal level, our individual struggles and the way that we go through these seasons of of. Um, hardship and that we may overcome one day. Uh, the, the monomyth is a story of hope, ultimately. And we see it represented in traditions worldwide and in different ways and in, in religions and, and other types of stories we tell each other. Because I think as humans, what we ask of each other and what we want to know from one another is how do I overcome? And how do I uh, get through the hardships and, uh, and the struggles? And we build societies uh, around this. We build civilizations around our collective um, yearning to overcome struggle. And so as we tell stories and as we build our traditions and come up with celebrations, spring is the perfect symbolism and embodiment of that. And, and what, again, whatever you celebrate, whatever you believe, uh, I hope that you have a good spring. I hope that you take this as an opportunity in your life, especially after the year we've all had in 2020 and already the massive weirdness we've seen in 2021. Um, let this be your best spring. Let this be a time where you, uh, reflect on the things that you should grow in your lives. Um, and, and also the things that you should leave in the winter. Uh, y'all, I, I, I appreciate you listening to this show. Um, it means the world to me. It really does. And I get emotional sometimes talking about this, but, and I say this over and over because I mean it over and over. You have made this such a rewarding experience and, uh, this has brought a new thing, um, into my life. And it's, it's sort of has let me overcome and, and given me an outlet for a lot of stress and a lot of struggle that came through, uh, doing graduate school and having a job and all this stuff. So, um, y'all mean the world to me. Your support means the world to me. Thank you for listening. And, uh, uh, again, sorry for the weird Saturday episode that apparently took me forever to get done, um, but I wanted to try to do it right. 
and I hope I did. Again, if I missed anything, if there are other traditions you want me to talk about, if there are corrections you'd like to send me, I would be happy to publish an amendment to this episode and talk about some of the things that you want to talk about. Shoot, if you want to email me audio files of you describing your uh, favorite spring tradition, I would love to put that in in a bonus episode one of these days. But uh, there'll be another episode out uh, Tuesday, actually, just in a couple of days um, with a friend of mine who is, uh, without spoiling too much, the most popular professor at Texas Tech University. So that's a fun one. That's going to be a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So uh, I love you guys. I hope you have a great weekend and I will talk to you in just a couple of days. Mm -hmm.